Good morning. Scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll read verses 5 and 6. 13, 5 and 6. And it reads, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do not realize, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? And I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. You may be seated. Thank you, Daniel, for our scripture reading today. And thank you, Jonathan, for leading us in those beautiful songs, for the very fervent, sincere, and scriptural prayers these men have offered. We're very grateful. Thank you for leading us in our worship service such a fine way and for this very fine assembly today. Thank you for being with us. We encourage you to be back with us again tonight as we are involved in our Sunday night seminar on the matter of prayer. And I encourage you to come and be with us at that time at 6 o'clock. This is a challenging passage of Scripture, is it not? It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. It's a passage that tells us to examine ourselves. And I've heard preachers preach on this quite a bit. And you've heard Bible classes on this subject of examining yourself and how important that really is. But I, I just feel that we're not really going to get the import of this passage until we know something of the background of the passage. In fact, I might say that 2 Corinthians may be the least understood book in the New Testament. A few people study 2 Corinthians. Uh, It's never on the favorite reading list for anyone. It has a great deal of important knowledge which tells us about the life of the Apostle Paul, but few people ever read it and study it. You're not going to understand, examine yourselves, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, and 6, if we don't know the background to the passage and the background to the book. By the time you look at Acts chapter 18, you see how Paul in his second missionary journey is going to the city of Corinth. Corinth is on a little isthmus of land which joins two larger bodies together. The western side would be the Adriatic Sea on the eastern side would be the Mediterranean. What an important sea town that was, Corinth. It was a wicked town. Uh, It actually had a terrible reputation, but the Apostle Paul goes and establishes a congregation, and he's there speaking in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. There many of the Greeks and many of the Jews listened to him and heard and believed and obeyed, but some of the Jews, of course, caused problems with regard to that matter. Crispus was one of them, the ruler of the synagogue. He and his family obeyed the gospel. They heard the word and believed it, and they were baptized into Christ. There was an emotional time there at Corinth because Paul said he goes to the Gentiles, shaking off the dust from his feet. An Old Testament way of saying, now I've done what I could here, I'm going somewhere else. But he stayed there long enough to continue to preach and teach. A faction begins to grow at Corinth. This faction in the church starts developing the idea that Paul's not a genuine apostle. That's hard for me to believe that that would happen. They were doubting his credentials. 
They were doubting if Paul was genuine or not. They were purporting themselves to be apostles, and they were doubting whether the apostle Paul was an apostle. And they wanted some evidence that the apostle Paul was a genuine apostle of Christ. Though Paul had said, you've had plenty of evidence to decide whether I was an apostle or not. Just look at all the wonders and the miracles and the signs which I performed while I was there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and the verses, verse 12. But Paul says, I'm coming back to Corinth and I'm going to settle this matter. And when I come to Corinth, you should examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. I'm not coming back to show you more credentials so that you can pass judgment on me. But I'm coming back to Corinth, and you need to evaluate yourself to see if you're a faithful child of God like you should be. And that's what this verse is about, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. Paul's return, whereby these critics should examine themselves to see whether they're faithful children of God. Naturally, I apply that to myself. I look at this passage in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? A self-examination. It's an important matter. A self-examination is required. The term examination, as is used in our text today, has to refer to the idea of try or test yourself. The Greek word here means to discover the nature or quality of something by testing it. You look at it and you analyze it to see whether it has this quality and this property or not. Peter spoke about it in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, now don't think it a strange thing when the world's going to try you and test you. That passage comes from 1 Peter 4.12. You're going to be tried and you're going to be tested as far as the nature of your faith is concerned. Paul says you need to try yourself and give yourself a spiritual self-examination. In order to understand what a spiritual examination really consists, we need to understand the elements of an examination. It wouldn't be profitable at all just to go through some kind of artificial academic kind of look-see, but let's look and see what the real elements of a spiritual self-examination looks like, and then in turn it'll be profitable to us. Just as Paul told his critics, go through a self-examination, you and I will go through a self-examination today, spiritually speaking, to see whether we are in the faith or not. And the very first element of a self-examination makes it a personal examination. Now, we're good at this. We can analyze, we can criticize, we can stigmatize, we can ostracize, and that's all the words I can think of right now for this, but we do all that to others. We'll examine this one, and we'll examine that one, and we'll criticize that one, and we'll look-see to that one over there. But this is a personal examination. John chapter 7 and 24 tells us to make a righteous judgment for sure. But in this particular matter, he's saying, examine yourselves. You're going to test yourself. You're going to look at yourself to see if you're in the faith. You're going to examine yourself a personal look-see. Matthew emphasized the importance of this as he recorded the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. A so misunderstood passage of Scripture There he says, Judge not that you be not judged. 
For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it shall be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not the, not the notice the log that is in your own eye? Now verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Well, his point is you've got to have a self-examination. It's not that Jesus is saying that all judgment is wrong. He's just saying you've got to start first with yourself. And don't be hypocritical about this matter. Don't criticize someone else about things you put up with in your own life. You've got to take the log out of your own life before you can go and help somebody else with a speck that is in their eye. It is important to give personal examination. That's much of what the Lord was trying to say in Matthew chapter 7. But I think the quintessential passage on doing this would have to be found for us in Luke chapter 18. When you have two people there that go before the crowd, and it's in this parable of Matthew 18, beginning at about verse 9, that Jesus talks about these two people. And he says here, now, one's a Pharisee and another's a tax collector. And he says at about verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get. He's giving a self-examination, isn't he? You notice how he catalogs all of his virtues. I'm this, I'm that. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look how important I am. And I'm certainly more important than this publican. A publican was an individual who collected taxes for the people of the day for the Roman Empire. And they were hated by their own people. And, of course, they had duties to the Roman Empire to collect the taxes. And they would keep the difference. And they were always raising the taxes so that the difference would be put in their pocket, would grow more and more, and the people hated them. They looked at the publicans as being very unpatriotic. and We can't stand these publicans. But now this Pharisee who's so strict in the matter of the old law, he says, man, I'm glad I'm not like this Pharisee. So he's making a self-examination. And it is a personal examination, but he's looking and categorizing all of his wonderful points that he tries to brag about. But then you have the other part of the parable found for us in verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now he's making personal examination. You notice that he stands far off. He won't even stand in the outer court of the temple. He's not wanted there. He's not liked there because he's a publican. And in turn, he simply stands away. It is a model, a model of self-examination. And that's what I'm interested in today. I'm interested in understanding Paul's statement, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5 and 6, a statement which says, give an examination to yourself. It is a personal examination. Jesus is saying in Matthew 7, you know, before you go and help him, you help yourself by getting yourself corrected and then go and help. You can't get to first base until you start looking at yourself. It is a personal examination that I give myself. But I have to understand, though, that the elements of this spiritual examination are not only personal, but it's an honest examination. 
And this is an important point too, just as important as the one that we just enumerated or discussed before you. This wonderful passage in Psalm 26, and I turn to that because of the significance of the verse to the subject at hand. And when I read this verse, I want you to notice that David writes about his own personal integrity when he comes before the Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord. Psalm 26, 1. For I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. He's saying, I have been honest with myself. And it is quite a remarkable statement that he makes in this regard, that he's been honest with himself in the sight of the Lord. He tries to view himself as the Lord views him. And that's what this kind of spiritual examination requires. It requires an honest evaluation. Not a prejudicial one or a preconceived idea, but an honest one, whereby we look personally at ourselves. Again, I look at the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. There, Luke talks about the parable of the soils, which really is a metaphor about human hearts, and it appears in Matthew chapter 13. But I like this rendering in Luke chapter 8, particularly when he comes down to this matter of the good soil, you know, the the sower went forth to sow, and some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the fowl of the air came and devoured it up, and some of the soil fell on the good ground as he got down to the end of the parable. And as he notices this matter, he says in Luke 18 and 15, 8 and 15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, bearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. What he means by that is integrity of heart. They are honest with themselves. They hear the Word of God. They evaluate their life in line with the Word of God. They make an honest spiritual examination. Now anyone who just goes through a a spiritual checklist here, there, and yonder really is going through simply an academic pursuit. But when a person in integrity... Honesty of heart is studying the Word of God and applying it. That person is saying, I long to obey your Word, O Lord, and I'm willing to sacrifice whatever is necessary in order to implement your Word into my life. That's an honest examination. A spiritual examination Examine yourself. It's got to require, got to have, integrity of heart and honesty of heart, whereby I'm willing to say, yes, I'm willing to do without that because it's not according to the will of God. I'm willing to implement that in my life that hasn't been there because it is according to the will of God. My desire is to do God's will. That good soil, you see, bears fruit. Because of honest and sincere heart looks at that word and evaluates that word in line with his life and makes the proper adjustments. In John chapter 17, you, or John chapter 7, you see this incident coming out. I think it serves as a good illustration of what we're saying at the point in my trying to understand what a self-examination really is with regard to the Scripture. And here you have Jesus in John chapter 7, and by this time, he doesn't go into Judea because they're trying to conspire to murder him. 
After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, chapter 7, verse 1. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. By this time, his fame, certainly among the Jews, have waned, and they have other things in mind. A lot of people, they're wondering about Jesus. They're amazed at the things that Jesus can teach and does teach in John chapter 7, verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? John seven fifteen. They marvel at the knowledge of Jesus, at the things which Jesus teaches. He never went to rabbi school. He, never, he doesn't have any degrees. We are amazed at the things that he can learn because he doesn't have the academic training that the rabbis have that teach us. But then Jesus answered this particular matter in verse 16. Basically, Jesus saying, it's because I'm the Son of God. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then Jesus makes a particular point here about those who follow him and their heart. Notice what he says. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. If an individual has an honest heart, he will see the truth of these matters and in turn obey them. Paul condemned others because they did not love the truth. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. They didn't follow the truth. They didn't love the truth. They didn't want to be a part of the truth, so they didn't go along with the teaching of the inspired Apostle Paul and the other inspired writers and prophets and teachers of the New Testament. They didn't love the truth. An honest spiritual examination is what we need. We need to prune away from our heart all those preconceived ideas and prejudices that we should not have. And with open hearts, examine the Word of God, which is an objective examination. It is the standard by which we can come to understand what God wants us to do. Where would we be without the Bible? And just think about for a moment what we would not know if we didn't have the Bible. But because I do have the Bible, an objective standard to go by. By objective standard, we simply mean it was not written by mere men. It is not the composition of the opinions of men. But it transcends mere human production. It is the writing of the inspired word. It is the revelation of God Almighty being inspired by God, these men wrote as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit revealed to us God's holy and divine work. It is the only objective standard we've got. And for a real spiritual examination, it not only must be personal and honest, but it's got to be done by the right standard. And i tell you what is not the right standard. Our conscience is not the right standard. A lot of times people will say, well... My conscience is such a valuable thing, and indeed a conscience is valuable. But the conscience was never meant to be the standard by which we judge our lives. Because our conscience is so strong within us, God gave us this conscience. And may we never violate our conscience. May we always yield to our conscience, but that conscience 
has to be trained and it has to be taught and it has to go by what the Word of God, the objective standard is really telling us how important that is. I tell you what's not the standard and that's the culture. The culture of the day and the most modern fad of the day is not the standard by which we're going to make a proper spiritual examination. I can go by the culture and the culture will say this one time. The culture will say that another time. Notice how often the culture changes. How it swings almost like a pendulum. Even the short lives that we have, we can see the emphasis of the culture going one particular way. And then almost like a pendulum on a clock, it can swing back and go the other way. And that's the way cultures are. Cultures one time will emphasize this as being good, and then at another time they'll emphasize that as being good. And sometimes cultures have been very, very wrong in morality, in truth, with regard to how people should live and behave. Do you know it was at one time the culture that they should destroy the Jews in Europe and Nazi Europe in the 30s? That was their culture. They not only attacked the Jews, why they attacked many others as well. And their culture was telling them this is what they ought to do. But many realized this is not the way to decide between right and wrong. A group of people can't get together and by majority vote decide what's right. We need some standard of authority because another group of people a few years from now can get together and by majority vote and decide what, what, that this was wrong and something else is right. It can't be the culture that tells us what's right and wrong. It can't be our conscience that tells us what's right and wrong. It can't be our feelings that tells us what's right and wrong because we're so fickle with regard to our feelings. One day we may feel this way. One day we may feel that way. Today I feel like this would be pretty good. Today, I just don't feel like that. And the skeptic has tried to reduce morality down to a sense of feelings. You feel like that's all right? Okay, that's all right. That's obviously the wrong standard. That's why Paul would say, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. Isn't that a great verse? Study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Workmen need not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Study and learn and apply what God's word says because that's the objective standard. If we're going to have any kind of self-examination that's real, it's got to be personal, it's got to be honest, it's got to be objective, an objective standard. For all men everywhere. And the only objective standard is the Word of God. Paul draws a finer point on it by the time he gets to 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may have everything he needs thoroughly furnished unto every good work. He's drawing a finer point on that. Study to show thyself approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2.15 But let me be clear about what that is. This is what the Scripture will do for you. It is the objective standard. It's what you go by. It's what you learn. It's what you study. It's what applies to your life. It's the standard of the examination. If you don't have that, it's not going to be a real self-spiritual examination. What are the elements of a spiritual examination? You've got to have a purpose for the exam. 
And here again, many fall short of this particular matter. I can have a personal examination, and I can have a very honest examination of myself spiritually, and I can look at myself from the standpoint of the Bible, and you say, I believe in the Bible, and I will take that as an examination reference point. But if you don't have a purpose behind it, it only becomes an academic pursuit. And what is the great purpose behind this self-examination? I don't know of a better statement of it than what might be given in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. A verse that ought to be marked in every Christian's Bible. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. To have the mind of Christ. To think the way Jesus thought. To live the way Jesus lived. To talk the way Jesus talked. That is the purpose. To be more like my Savior. To be more like Christ. This is the point Paul made in Romans chapter 12. Many times I've said Romans 12 is the greatest passage in Christian living in the Bible. If it is the greatest, one close to it would be Philippians chapter 4. Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable or spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Follow the Word of God. Be more like Jesus. Live like Jesus lived. And it's going to take diligence and daily work and application to put that Word of God into my life and to make proper adjustment. And you know what the Bible word for adjustment is? It's repentance. You've got to repent of the sin, and you've got to get it out of your life. And don't repent like old Judas did in Matthew 27 and 3 and just say, well, I'm sorry it worked out this way. Or I'm sorry, please forgive me. Not in such an academic way, but with real, true contrition. I'm going to change my heart and I'm going to change my way of living. I'm going to repent. J.W. McGarvey wrote July the 2nd, 1893. Probably the, most, the best textual man I've ever read after. He said, this is a difficult point, repentance. Most difficult thing is not convincing them Jesus is the Son of God. Or baptism, he writes. The most difficult thing is repentance. The goal of the examination is for me to find the life of Christ and then make adjustments. Repent. Now, repentance has taken a bad hit of modern times. People don't talk much about repentance. I hear people talking about baptism, and I don't see how you could overemphasize that and the importance of it. How important it is to help people understand what the New Testament teaching is with regard to the matter of baptism. Why, that's fundamental, and everyone needs to understand that. But right along with that is the matter of repentance. And people don't talk about repentance, and they don't think about repentance. But repentance is a hard thing. It's just like McGarvey was saying in his statement We have got to make proper adjustments. I read it, 
the divine standard, the objective standard. I understand what the goal is to be more like Jesus. And to do that, I've got to change. Changing behavior sometimes is difficult because I've been doing this this way over and over and over and now I'm called upon to change my behavior the way I think, the way I do things. I repent of that. It goes back to an original word which means basically I was walking in this direction but I have changed. Now I see it better. I've changed my heart and mind, and I'm changing my action, my direction. Now I'm going this way. Repentance, matano, oh, it's a great word in the pages of the Bible. To change. And it's hard. I know it's hard to change. You know it's hard to change. We have got to make the change. And that's why Paul would say up there in that statement, examine yourselves. See whether you've actually made the change. See whether Christ really is living in your life or not. And then, if you find out the change needs to be made, make the change. If we don't, if we don't get this point, then worship becomes a meaningless ritual. And my study of the Bible becomes merely an academic pursuit. Now, I love academics, and I love looking at the words of the Bible, and I love looking at uh, the construction of the sentences and the background, and I enjoy reading, and I just thrill when I read about things in the background of these books and that kind of thing that I didn't know before. I really hunt for and look for these matters because I enjoy them so much. But if that's all it is, It's just an academic pursuit, and it's not going to change my life. What i got to do is make adjustments, and I've got to repent, and I've got to be the kind of person that I'm reading from the pages of the Bible. Sometimes I'll read a statement from a a lexicographer, or I'll read a statement from a commentary, or or some well-known, and this person just spot on in his discussion and his point, and you scratch your head and you wonder why. Isn't that person a member of the church of the Lord? He understands it. It's because of a failure to make personal application. A failure to make proper adjustment. A failure to repent and allow this examination to change my life into more about the life of Christ. If we fail in the goal... It becomes a meaningless ritual or a mere academic pursuit. But there's another point in this verse. I'm in 2 Corinthians. I'm in chapter 13. And I need to speak briefly to the second half of the verse. Verse 5. Examine yourselves. And that's where I've spent my time. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now the faith needs to be discussed and considered very carefully and I'd like to do that in the next minute or two that I have. The faith. This is the second part of Paul's admonition. You at Corinth, you need to examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. The faith. This is the objective faith. There are times in the Bible when the Bible talks about a personal faith. It talks about loving 
the Lord and loving Christ and loving the Word of God with all your heart, a type of love that comes from me when I read, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, that we diligently seek the Lord out of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. All those wonderful chapters and passages talking about a personal faith that by my study of the Word of God I will grow stronger and stronger in my trust and in my obedience and my love. That's a personal faith. There are times when the Bible talks about an objective faith. And I'm clued in as to when that is when he uses the definite article to modify the word faith. And I say that you can use that as a kind of thumb guide, a fingernail type of sketch by saying when you see the faith, he's talking about the Scripture there. He's talking about the Scriptures that came from God and heaven to earth, the revealed will of God. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. The priests became obedient to the faith. In Galatians 1 and 23, Paul preaches the faith. 1 Timothy 1, 19. Hymenaeus and Alexander, they have left the faith. Jude verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith. And what he means by these passages and others like them is that there is a corpus of Scripture that God has given us that we're to follow. It is the objective faith. It's the faith. It's God's plan. It's God's system that God gave us from heaven, revealed from God above, and given to man. And we're to follow the faith. I'm to examine my life in accordance to the faith. The objective Word of God. How does it fare? Why are you here today? Why are you here today? I want you to understand something. I'm very happy to see you today. Sunday, Wednesday, whenever the church gets together is a high point for me. I want to be with you. Why are you here today? Are you here today? Well, mom and dad made me come today, so I'm here. Why are you here today? Well, my my wife made me come here today, so that's why I'm here. Why are you here today? I'm here today because it makes good business sense for me to be here today. So-and-so's here, and I'm in business with that fellow, and so we can make business together, and we can become friends because of the business contacts and social contacts that we come, and we're here for that reason. What is the reason we are here today from the standpoint of the Scripture? John chapter 6 and 45. Isn't this a great passage? It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That comes there. Voluntarily, I come and I worship God to hear the Word of God and to learn and to express praise to God. I need that. There is the need for the faith 
whereby I in turn come and know the truth, God's Word being the truth. John chapter 8 and verse 32. Acts chapter 19 and 1. You know, there were some men there, they'd been baptized, but Paul sensed there was something wrong with their baptism. And so he questions them about their baptism. In result of the matter was they'd been baptized under John's baptism long after John's baptism had been replaced by the baptism of the Great Commission. And they were taught to be baptized properly. They'd never have known that if Paul had not taught them the Word of God and how important that Word of God was to their life. I need this. I need the time of worship. I need the time of Bible study. I need to listen carefully to the Word of God as it is unfolded because I tell you what I'm going through. I'm going through a self-examination to see whether I am in the faith. And I've got to make a personal application of this matter. Otherwise, it simply is some kind of academic pursuit or some kind of formality that I go through in God will not be pleased with my life. I need the faith. The examination is to be personal. i got to start looking at myself first. Got to be honest. I can't just go through and say, well, all right, this is okay, but that's not okay. This is okay, but that's not okay. i got to be honest with myself and make a personal, honest, purposeful examination. A purposeful examination. I'm trying to be more like Jesus. And when I see that from the standpoint of the Bible, I see I'm falling down. I'm not really where I ought to be. And it is a sustained examination according to the faith. It's something that I continue to do over and over again. And I study more and more about it. I'm here today to worship God. I'm here today to praise Him. And learn more about Him so that I can be more like His Son, Jesus Christ the righteous. And thus Paul's statement is a clear statement that I need. Jim, you need to examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Are you in the faith? having complied to the will and the Word of God for your life, let there be no mistake about what that means. It means that I've got to repent of my sin, Luke 13, 3. And I've got to confess my faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. And I've got to be baptized, that is, immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I've got to continue living the Christian life every day thereafter and growing and maturing in the faith so that one great day I'll be with God forever and ever and in heaven. Now, are we going to get real about this or not? Are we going to take this seriously or not? We've got to examine ourselves by the Word of God. If you see by this honest, purposeful examination. You're not in the faith, then let's do something about that. Let's be baptized into Christ if that's the need. Let's repent of our sins and be restored if that's the need. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. And I hope and pray you do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and sing.